0: our text is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to start, we're going to have verses 1 through 5, will serve as the text. Hebrews chapter 10, and verses 1 through 5. I'm preaching a sermon that I've titled, The Best Handmade Christmas Gift Ever. Now I've, uh, I remember when we were first married, we couldn't afford much. And so my wife, Ashley, was a good seamstress, and she made a tie for me. I loved that thing. And and then uh, my granddaughter has since uh, made me ties, you know. And, I, boy, that's just great. You know, you wear wear those, you know, to work one day, and you're hoping somebody will ask you, where'd you get that tie? Just so I can say, my granddaughter, my daughter, you know, whatever, made it for me, you know. Just, just love to do that. But, um, and then I... You know, I've had handmade gifts over the years. It's great. Now, uh, for me, uh, I've put bicycles together for my kids, and now they say, "Don't ever buy him a tool for Christmas." Okay, <laughs> so we got to go and repair anything that he fixes or puts together. But uh, but still, you know, you you, you uh, really appreciate that they did that effort, and people made nice gifts, beautiful gifts, expensive gifts with their hands and tremendous. I, I think that's great. But there's a handmade Christmas gift that has been the best ever, and no one will ever top it. And that's what we want to look at today. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started. Father, I pray now that as I go into Your Word this morning, I pray Thy Holy Spirit will use it to speak to hearts. Lord, just the choir, the soloist, the reading, just how it speaks to our heart and makes us thankful for our Lord and Savior. Oh, Lord, if there's one here without Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day they come to Him as Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're looking at our text. And starting there with verse 1 of our text, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Now, let me just make a quick explanation. When you have, see the word shadow, or people say this is a type of Christ, or a type of this, or whatever. The shadow, or the type, is not the substance. For an example, you may have heard of people as Joseph, or Noah, or others, being a type of Christ. Yet, Uh, They are not the actual Christ. They're not even the fulfillment of the prophecy. They are biblical history. Joseph wasn't Christ as Jesus Christ, who would be sold later. uh, Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver by his brothers, his own flesh and blood. Jesus Christ would later be sold for 30 pieces of silver by a man that he gave one of the highest positions in his group of disciples of taking care of the bag, the money that came in. And so we see that both of them were betrayed, betrayed by their own. Joseph, however, he is a type, but Jesus Christ is the antitype. Jesus Christ is the actual substance. The antitype can never be the shadow, the antitype can never be a type, for he is the actual substance. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Jesus is not a type of God. He is God. You see, that's the difference. So, the rest of the verse, continuing there in verse 1 says, Can never with those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshipers, once purged, should have no more conscience of sins. They'd realize there's still a debt. But in those sacrifices, verse 3, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. You see, those sacrifices covered sin. But it did not cleanse them from their, their sins. First John 1, 9 says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all our sin. Oh, what a great difference that is. Now, there's two passages or two verses in another passage here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26 that I think kind of help instruct us on this. In verse 26 of chapter 7. It says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He's the only acceptable sacrifice for our sin. He met the qualifications. He's holy. He is separate from sinners. And by the way, separation is a doctrine that God not only gave us, in His Son Christ, it was demonstrated. The doctrine of separation. Yes, the high priest, harmless, separated from sinners, holy made higher than the heavens. That's the only acceptable sacrifice, and that was what it had to be. Those Old Testament sacrifices could not be uh, just any animal used. Uh, They had to be without spot, or any kind of an infirmity of any kind. And yet, their payment was for sin. To cover it, not to remove it, not to pay the penalty. It was a covering of the sin, but it did not pay for all sin for all time. That had to be paid by a better sacrifice. You see, those sacrifices of animals, they could be herded, they could be moved. At the will of man. Controlled by a man. An animal. Though he was inspected closely. To make sure that he had no spots. No sickness. No disease. No anything in him. So he would be a type. Of what the true sacrifice would be. And yet those Animals they still, still only covered sin. That sin had to be paid by a better sacrifice. And since it was man that was told, in the day ye eat thereof, you shall surely die. And when man sinned, his spirit would be separated from God, needing a Savior. And the only payment for sin to an all holy, almighty God had to be a sacrifice of a man who sinned. Adam was the first man, he's the father of the human race. Jesus Christ is called the second Adam, he is the father of the spiritual new life, eternal life, that we receive when we receive Him as Savior. He is a better sacrifice, and it cannot be matched. And what about Christ? We're told in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, these words. Jesus is talking, and He says, therefore, Both my father, his father, both my father loved me because I laid down my life that I might take it again. You see, there's not one Old Testament animal that could lay down its life voluntarily and then take it again. Do you realize that on the cross, the life was there, Jesus could have come down at any time. He, he could have called a legion of angels, 12 legions. But he could have just spoken the word and come down without the angels. He did that for us. He was on the cross, and the Bible says very clearly, he despised it. He despised the pain. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us. He despised it. He endured it. Why? For the joy that was set before him to save your soul, my soul. Verse 18 of John 10 says, he says, Christ goes on to say, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And yes, you don't see any animal that is able to do that. They could not raise themselves from the dead. But Jesus did. And so verse 27 now again of Hebrews chapter 7 says this, Who needs not daily as those priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins. (laughs) That high priest, boy, he had this, this mitre on that said, Holiness unto the Lord. Oh, he was decked out in robes that was designed by God. And they were made, beautiful robes, the robe of the high priest, to be able to walk in there and offer After the sacrifice was made, the blood there at the mercy seat. But he had to go in the first time to offer for his own sins. Jesus had no sin to be offered for. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God who would die for us. And then he would go back in a second time for the people. But Jesus did this once, when He offered up Himself. As 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You know, we will partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him. Those Old Testament sacrifices we're looking forward to what He would do for us. But when we partake of that supper, we're looking back at what He did do for us. Many of you, as you sit here today, you can remember back to a life of sin, filth, and things you don't want anybody else to know. Yet, He forgave and He cleansed you of those sins. And here you are cleaned up in the house of God by what he did and you receiving it. Receiving him as your Lord and Savior. And so, in the Old Testament, they had those offerings once a year. And guess what? They have to do it again next year because that it was covering sin. But it did not pay the eternal payment before God. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, that precious blood, he set on the great mercy seat in heaven. My sin, your sin is under that blood. But understand, he became sin for us. He offered one sacrifice, for sins, forever, and sat down on the right hand of God. And he sat down back once again with his Father. You ever think about that? When Jesus comes to this earth and, you know, it's announced. And throughout his earthly life, he has communion with the Father. When he's baptized, all oh, the dove comes down upon him and the voice comes from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, John, and James. And, and Peter says, oh, Moses and Elijah are here, let us make a tabernacle to all all three of them. And the father says, this is my beloved son, hear him. In John chapter 12, he's speaking to the people. And he begins to pray, Father, glorify thy name. And the Father says, in an audible voice, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Oh my goodness. There was a relationship as a father would have with the son, a good relationship, communion, getting up a great while before day to go and share his heart with his father. And so that sacrifice was offered. In verse 4 of our text it states, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins forever. You see, the blood of bulls and goats just can't do it. It required a far greater sacrifice. A sacrifice of a human, since a human had sinned against God, a human life that was perfect, holy, harmless, only one met that requirement. That's why I want you to see the best handmade Christmas gift ever. And we'll see that in verse 5. In verse 5 he says, wherefore, and let me just, you, people most of you know this for those that maybe you're a little bit newer. I've explained this many times, wherefore and therefore. Therefore means, okay, you're starting right there. The Lord wants this done, and so he's saying, therefore, as you're on your way over to there, you need to be doing this. You know, you need to be a witness, you need to be faithful, you need to do these things. That's the therefore for us as Christians. Wherefore, now you have therefore about three to four times more than you have wherefore in the Bible. Wherefore means stop and take care of it right now, take care of it entirely right now, as you're going towards the direction. And so before His ascension into heaven, the wherefore comes about. Jesus is on the cross and He paid it all. Then He is buried. Then He raises. And then He moves up to heaven to prepare a place for us. And so, you see, He paid it all then. He paid for all of our sin. And you and I had not been born yet. We had not sinned yet. But he had it all on him. You see, God knows what you're going to do, He knows your thoughts are far off. Nothing is hid from Him. And so, He became a man that He might pay our sin, our sin payment in total. 1 John 2, 2 calls him the propitiation. That means the entire payment for all time is paid off. All i got to do is receive it. Receiving him as my Lord and Savior, the penalty for my sin, what I owe has been paid in full through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. Who is thou? Well, that's the father. This is the son talking to the father. A body hast thou prepared me. You'll notice that when he came into the world, he came with a purpose. But you notice it doesn't say it there again. When He cometh into the world, anybody denies that there was that Christ lived before He was born in Bethlehem. You can't come to some place if you're not already alive. When He cometh into the world, He was already alive. He was from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. That's what the Bible says. He was already existing. And that, so, therefore, we read in Genesis 1 26, the Father's there with the Son, the Holy Spirit, and He says, Let us make man in our image. You know, our is a plural in the Hebrew. You've heard me say this as well. Make is a singular verb, a plural noun. Followed by a singular verb. When you have a plural noun in Hebrew, you know, Hebrew, you got singular, dual, and then three or more. Plural. But if it's followed by a singular verb, let us make, make a singular verb. It means the three are of one essence. We call it the Trinity but it's best defined as three divine persons in one, deni- uh, one essence, one divine essence. The Trinity was active in all creation. We see that the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the deep, the Bible tells us. It also tells us of Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. It also says, without him was not anything made that was made. I think of Luke chapter 1 verse 35, there's Mary, she is, uh, angel has just announced to her that she's going to have this baby, Jesus. And she said, how can this thing be? And verse 35 of Luke 1 says, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow the- thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and the Spirit enters her body. Now, don't like, be like the world and try to make something sexual out of that. No, the Holy Spirit is a spirit, and he could enter her brain, enter her body at any time. And inside her, he began to form the seed. Remember Genesis 3:15, uh, uh, 315, uh, I believe it is. The seed of the woman. Oh. The seed is usually not of the woman, it's of the man. The Holy Spirit forms the seed. Totally inside her. But what does the Father do? Well, you get that in the rest of verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice, and offering thou wouldest not. Those Old Testament sacrifices didn't do it. But a body hast thou prepared me. See, the sacrifices of bulls and goats, regardless of being spotless and passing the test, are not sufficient. They simply were not sufficient. I've used this illustration too, but uh, I'll use it again. If I backed up my car and I don't see a little three-year-old running behind my car, I just can't see it, and I run over that three-year-old and it kills that little thing. I get out of the car and I'm just heartbroken. I didn't see it. Honestly, didn't see it. And, and that child is dead. And I go to the neighbor whose child it is. And I says, look. I couldn't see. I couldn't see. But you know what? This dog means so much to me. It's three years old too. And I'm going to give it to you. And you can kill it. That way we'll be even. Oh, no, there's no way you're even with that. The wages of sin is death. You think your good works will make it even? Do you think doing the best you can will make it even? No. To an all holy God, that's as abominable as me offering a dog for your child that I just killed. Now, the wages of sin is death. That spirit that lives within us would be separated from God forever if there's not a Savior. Separated in the lake of fire forever. I think of the rich man and Lazarus. You know what? They're in bodies. They're not in the bodies they had on earth. They can see the rich man can see that's Lazarus. He can see that's Abraham. He never met Abraham, but he can see it's Abraham. Abraham can see that's the rich man. Abraham wasn't alive on earth when the rich man was. He had been dead for many, many, many years. But they're known. They're known. And here's this body they're in. It's like the chains. They can't escape that body. They cannot cease to exist. There's no escape from that place. And the wages of sin is death, final complete separation forever from God in the lake of fire, a hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. He didn't want man to go. And when he made man in his image, and God is a spirit, then he made man with the spirit, as well as a soul and a body, the worst thing that could happen would be for Adam to sin. And all his progeny afterwards would be born with a sin nature. That's why the virgin birth was so important. Yes, the sacrifice had to be a human sacrifice that was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And you know, that animal sacrifice was so far short of taking away our sin just like our good works, our church memberships, our baptisms won't save us. Now, I want you to see this in verse 5. A body hast thou prepared me. Again, thou is the Father. But that word for prepared, it's a Greek word which I won't remember and you won't remember after we leave here unless you go back and listen to the Thing, but uh, it is defined as to adjust, finish, with the fundamental meaning of finishing and bringing it to complete total reality for its purpose, for the completion of a thing. The Holy Spirit forms the Son, Seed, but then the father takes over, and for the next nine months, he prepared, in other words, he formed that body through that entire nine-month period. And what is so interesting about that, I told you about the conversations he had with the father back and forth, all that closeness they had. But when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And as a father, boy, you really, that tugs at your heart when you know they, you got to let him go through it. Oh, that would so tug at his heart. But the father made him for a purpose. The father finished the process of Making him by hand that he might be an acceptable sacrifice for our sin. 1,000 years before the cross. See, Jesus is aware of all of this. 1,000 years before the cross, it mentions being nailed. Uh, you know what? They didn't have the metal nails that 1,000 years before the cross, they didn't have those spikes. If they did, it'd be by wood, it'd be somehow or another, but they had it then. Nailed to a cross a thousand years before it would happen. All the things of the cross are told so well in Psalms chapter twenty two, that thousand years earlier. And we hear so often. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you ever thought about that? you realize he's talking to the Father while well, the Father's right there? You see, the Father is going to pour out his almighty wrath on the human spirit of his Son because he sees your sin and my sin laying on him who knew no sin. And he's pouring it out Totally. Boy, in Gethsemane, at least angels were sent. In the wilderness, at least angels were sent. But this time, no angels will minister to him. There'll be no help, no encouragement. He must endure. And so a thousand years before it happened, we're told about it. And in Psalms chapter twenty-two verse nine, he says to his father, "I believe that this is something that's not recorded in the New Testament; that's in the Old Testament. But I think it's part of the conversation. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast." You don't think the heart of the Father tugged greatly when it was His Son? You see, Christian, I think John three sixteen becomes very real when we see what happened to Jesus Christ. His only begotten Son, the handmade made Son of God to die for us For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God the Father had you, had me in mind, had all mankind in mind. I want to close this up today by saying two things. First of all, Christian, can you see the love, can you see the compassion that the Father, Jesus said in John 16, my Father loves you also as I love you. The compassion to take his Son who was with him throughout all eternity past to take him and make a human body with a soul and a spirit and place him inside that body and form it for the next nine months and then draw him out. Lay him in a feeding crop wrapped in swaddling clothes, those old rags around the stables. Yes, God gave his only begotten son because he loved us. Christian, we think of Christmas, gift giving. Perhaps the best gift that you can give the Lord this year, say, Lord, I want to give you my all. I'm not going to just give you what's convenient for me to do. I'm not just going to give you what doesn't cost me any problems with the world around me. No, I'm going to be faithful to your house. I'm going to be there for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm going to be faithful. Revival meetings, faith promise, whatever it is, I'm going to give my all. And Lord, I'm going to seek you daily to find out what you would have me to do. You can't make a gift, and you can't give a gift that would be better than that. No, you can't make a handmade gift like he had that he gave us. And your handmade gifts won't save your soul. But if, as a Christian, as the song says, give of the best to the master, give of the strength of your youth. Oh, yield in salvation's full order. Oh, yes. <laughs> give it for him. But if you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, let me tell you this. You can't get rid of your sin. You can't do works good enough to cleanse it. What you do is you come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I cannot get rid of my sin. I'm asking you through your shed blood to take away my sin, to cleanse me. I understand, just like in a marriage, I'm giving you my heart and life. You're the head. I'm the helpmeet, to help meet the goal that you have for this life for me. Oh, Lord, please save me. Please save me. As the choir sang today, oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. That tree. That tree. Let's bow our heads, please.